And the next section now is about Utah State Code and what the violations were of the officer. And one of the violations is, it says, the primary duty of law enforcement officers responding Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for to a domestic violence call is to protect the victim and enforce the law. They found that as a violation. Uh, in addition to the arrest powers described in section 77-7-2, when a peace officer responds to a domestic violence call and has probable cause to believe that an act of domestic violence has been committed, the peace officer shall arrest without a warrant or shall issue a citation to any person that the peace officer has probable cause to believe has committed an act of domestic violence. So they found that as a violation as well. The explanation says, this incident from the beginning was classified as an assault that took place between a male and a female. During the investigation, it was found they were cohabitants. It is my finding that an assault did take place therefore should be classified as a domestic violence investigation. This incident starts with both witnesses who include the witness that called 911 and reported Brian slapping Gabby to a second witness that stated Gabby was hitting Brian and Brian pushed or shoved Gabby. It continued on with the roadside investigation and statements made by both Brian and Gabby. I have already documented that many statements they each made to law enforcement. In short, Brian and Gabby each acknowledge a verbal argument that escalated into a physical confrontation. Brian and Gabby each acknowledge getting physical physical with the other. It was also concluded Brian and Gabby were cohabitants due to their statements that they were engaged and living together. There were four statements made with the three of the statements being fairly consistent stories. Gabby, Brian, and one of the two witnesses, and a combination of using all these individual statements along with the observations and physical evidence would point towards Gabby being the predominant aggressor, at least as it relates to this specific incident. As it relates to the fourth witness, contact was not made with him outside the 911 call, so there is no written statement and no formal interview conducted. In his statement to dispatch, he stated he saw the gentleman slapping the girl. Sta he stated he was driving when he first observed Brian and Gabby. He stated he pulled over and continued observing the couple. He then said that male and a female ran up and down the sidewalk where he proceeded to hit her. When speaking with Gabby, Officer Pratt shared the witness's statement to Gabby as it related to Brian hitting Gabby. Gabby replied, to be honest, I definitely hit him first. When pressed for details and after Gabby said Brian just grabbed her to prevent her from hitting him, Officer Pratt asks, did he hit you though? Officer Pratt stresses the importance of telling the truth. Gabby replied, I guess, but I hit him first. Officer Pratt asked where Brian hit her. Gabby stated, Brian grabbed my face, I guess, while also demonstrating the action. Gabby states, like he didn't punch me in the face. Gabby said Brian grabbed her face and said he could feel the cut on her cheek. Gabby stated when she touches her cheek, it burns. The end result of this investigative incident concluded with separating Brian and Gabby and not making an arrest either by citation or custody based on the information provided in this specific incident Brian would be the victim with Gabby being the suspect. As it relates to primary duty of law enforcement while responding to a domestic violence call, the officers protected the victim by separating Brian from Gabby. However, I do not find that they enforced the law. They responded to a confirmed domestic violence incident and they had evidence showing an assault had taken place. The statements of all those involved along with the evidence presented provided probable cause for an arrest. Officer Pratt talks in detail multiple times about the lack of discretion law enforcement officers have when it comes to domestic violence incidents. It is clear to me that an arrest, either by citation or custody, was decided would be the most appropriate action to take throughout this entire investigation. Officer Pratt describes to Gabby the actions they must take, and Gabby becomes extremely emotionally talking about how she doesn't want to be separated from Brian. 
Officer Pratt states they lawfully don't have discretion here. Officer Pratt tells Gabby that the best thing he can do for her at this point is to speak to a supervisor to see if he is missing something. Officer Pratt explained to Gabby he didn't think there was anything he was missing, but he would still follow up with the supervisor and ask. Officer Pratt calls Assistant Chief Palmer and explains the circumstances. Officer Pratt tells Assistant Chief Palmer at the end of the conversation that he's going to reread the statute to see if this fits or if there is a way that it doesn't fit. When speaking to Officer Robbins regarding his conversation with Assistant Chief Palmer, Officer Pratt indicates the only way they can't take action on this case is if the circumstances don't fit what the statute states. Officer Pratt states if it fits, then they must follow the law and they must take action. In a subsequent interview with Officer Pratt and Assistant Chief Palmer, they both recalled this conversation and their answers to what the content of the conversation was was consistent. Assistant Chief Palmer stated he referred Officer Pratt to city policy and state law and to follow what fits the situation. Assistant Chief Palmer stated he was not on scene and didn't have all the facts that Officer Pratt had, so that was the gist of his advice. Officer Pratt confirmed this by stating he was told to do what fits. If it's a domestic, do a domestic. If it's not, then don't. Officer Pratt starts looking at the specific wording used in the Utah Criminal Code for assault and the definition of bodily injury. This is where I believe Officer Pratt made a mistake by assigning the wrong culpability to the code as well as not reading the entirety of the assault statute. According to Utah Criminal Code, an assault is an attempt with unlawful force or violence to do bodily injury to another or an act committed with unlawful force or violence that caused bodily injury to another or creates a substantial risk of bodily injury to another. Officer Pratt tells Robbins how important it is to read the actual verbiage of what is written in the various codes. Officer Pratt talks about the verbiage of assault being the intent to do bodily injury. Pratt only reads subsection A of the statute. Officer Pratt then looks up the definition of bodily injury in the Utah Criminal Code and reads it to the Officer Robbins. The definition in Utah Criminal Code for a bodily injury states bodily injury means physical pain, illness, or any impairment of physical condition. As it is written, it says, intent is not written in the assault code as I previously said. I believe Officer Pratt made a mistake in the way he interpreted the code as well as not reading the complete code. As it relates to various crimes written through the Utah State Criminal Code, there are many crimes that specifies the culpability and intent needed to fit a specific statute or classification. These are explained in Utah Criminal Code 76-2-103. And it goes on to talk about culpability. Officer Pratt said, this incident was more accurately categorized as a mental emotional health break than a domestic assault. He said he applied his numerous years in law enforcement as well as his overall life experience when he stated he believed to see signs of mental health issues from both Brian and Gabby. He said, I saw the dynamics of the relationship. If there were all these red flags that he was going to murder Gabby, I didn't see those. I saw the same red flags I see every time I get called to a relationship issue. They don't call us there because they're doing great and want the police to come over and see how great they're doing. They call us because there's something is devolved. He describes seeing this as another unhealthy relationship. Officer Pratt said, if it was not an assault, which I decided it wasn't, then what could I call it if it wasn't an assault? If it was an assault, she would have had to been arrested. But there's elements to the offense of assault and you have to meet those. He goes on to say, it's our duty to document, to support with reasoning, logic, and hopefully the law backing us because we all read the same code why we chose to do the rest or not do the rest. And the better you are at that, usually the better cop you are, but everyone makes mistakes or reads something wrong. Officer Pratt stated he had determined that one of the elements for assault was missing. Officer Pratt explained this as being the attempt to use unlawful force or violence to cause bodily injury to Brian. Officer Pratt stated he had determined that one of the elements for assault was missing. Officer Pratt explained that this as being the attempt to use unlawful force or violence to cause bodily injury to Brian. He described this stating implicit with attempt is intent. You can't attempt something with no intent to do it. So obviously intent is part of the assault. He stated this was the reason why he asked Gabby what her intent was when she was hitting Brian. He stated most guys our size would say that you can't slap people and do that, but followed that up with, well, we've never been a 110 pound female. He said Gabby's intent was important and when she was asked why she was slapping Brian, Gabby said I just wanted him to stop telling me to calm down. Were you attempting to cause him physical pain or physical impairment? Was that what you were attempting to do to him? 
What were yeah. you what were you attempting to do? What was the reason behind the slapping and stuff? What was what was it you were attempting to accomplish by slapping? I was trying to get him to stop trying Said, the officer said that it sounded very reasonable to him and that he didn't think she had the intent behind it to do bodily injury to him. I think she wanted to modify his behavior and she doesn't have the tools in her toolbox to do it. He says, that's why we spend so much time in court, way more time than I have on the side of the road. They have entire days of trial spent nothing more than just establishing intent on a crime. I don't have special expert witnesses on the side of the road. I don't have five days of my trial with these people to figure out who's who to charge. I got like less than an hour apparently. So they trust me after 16 years to figure it out. And I took my 16 years of experience and I said I believe Gabby based on the totality of the circumstances and based on what she appears physically capable of and based on what I saw him doing and act the way he was acting that I didn't think she assaulted him. Officer Pratt also added what he believed could happen if Gabby had been arrested and Brian bailed her out and signed the protective order waiver. Officer Pratt pointed out that Brian had said they didn't have a lot of money. Remember that $20,000 that he did not sit talk about? Officer Pratt said, so if he's going to bail her out, he's not going to have more control over her now. Now we're out of money. Blame it on her because I had to bail you out. You know, all it's going to do is put power and dynamics more on him in his favor where he's like, now we have to come back to court or video court. Now we don't have the money because I had to bail you out. Oh, we're in another fight. Go ahead and call the cops. How did that go for you last time? I asked Officer Pratt where he looked up the code for assault, which he stated was from the Utah Legislature website. I asked Officer Pratt if at the time of this incident, if he believed he had read the entire definition of the assault to Officer Robbins. Officer Pratt stated he believes he did and also stated he looked up the definition of bodily injury to further expand on what the code was stating. Officer Pratt stated he first had to see if the crime of assault was met and if so, then they would be able to attach the domestic violence attribute to that. However, if there was no crime of assault, then it couldn't be a domestic violence assault. I asked Officer Pratt if he believes to this day, November 1st, 2021, that attempt and intent were synonymously or implicit with each other. Officer Pratt stated, to this day, I still believe that. Officer Pratt stated if he was wrong, he would adjust his future interactions in acknowledgement of that information. I explained to Officer Pratt the four culpabilities at their levels. I also read Officer Pratt the assault code in full. Officer Pratt said that does change things. Officer Pratt stated he is sure he has read that part of the assault code before and it has to be addressed. He said he probably got sidetracked with the bodily injury portion of the assault code and went and read the definition for bodily injury, neglected to scroll down and read the rest of the assault statute. He said, and if I did that, it's a mistake and may have changed our decisions, but I can't say that even here now until I read it and really think about it for a few minutes because I do take the act of putting people in handcuffs and taking their freedom and giving them charges very seriously. And I usually spend a little bit of time reading up on it first and then try to figure out if that's going to fly. So yes, that second part you said, I would admit that could have changed what we decided to do, to do, but I would still have to look it over and think about it. As for the intent to cause harm, Officer Robin stated, I went with that one because she said that she didn't have the intent to harm him. And now we go to Officer Robbins, and it says in a subsequent interview with Officer Robbins, I asked how he reached the conclusion that an assault did not take place. Robbins stated he observed the code Officer Pratt showed him and in that code it said with the intent to cause harm. Officer Robbins stated I went with that one because she said that she didn't have the intent to harm him. I asked Officer Robbins if he just went with that because of what was told by Officer Pratt or if he actually observed the code himself. Robbins stated Officer Pratt showed me the code. Robbins added again that the assault code says with the intent to cause bodily injury. I read the assault code in full and asked Officer Robbins if anywhere in the code it said the word intent. Officer Robbins said it might have been somewhere else, I'm not sure. I asked Officer Robbins if he actually felt at the time of this incident that the definition of assault included the intent to cause bodily injury. Officer Robbins said yes. I asked Officer Robbins if his decision during this incident was a decision made to benefit himself or anyone else. Robbins stated he did what he thought was best for the situation. I asked Officer Robbins if he was aware of the duties of arrest in Utah State Code. Robbins stated he was aware. I read him the duties of the arrest and asked Officer Robbins if he believed he followed Utah State Code. Officer Robbins said, at the time I did. I asked Officer Robbins how he reached the conclusion written in his report that states, I do not believe the situation escalated to the level of a domestic assault as much as that of a mental health crisis. And I asked how he quantified the two. 
Officer Robbins stated he was trying to fix the problem and figure out what the underlying problem was. Robbins didn't feel it was an ongoing issue of assault, but an ongoing mental health issue, which caused the domestic. I asked if this incident was more of a mental health crisis, why he didn't get Brian and Gabby in touch with mental health professionals. Officer Robbins stated it was a busy day and calls were stacking up left, right, and mistakes were made. It completely slipped my mind. I didn't even think about it. Officer Robbins stated the stress of the situation, everything else going on at the time contributed to not thinking about doing this. Another violation says if a peace officer does not immediately exercise arrest powers or initiate criminal proceedings by citation or otherwise, the officer shall notify the victims of the right to initiate a criminal proceeding and of the importance of preserving evidence in accordance with the requirements. And the report says, due to Officer Robbins not exercising arrest powers by custodial or citation arrest, this section would apply to this case. Brian was adamant he did not want to pursue charges against Gabby in this case and made it clear through his statements that he wouldn't want to initiate criminal proceedings in the future. Brian said, I'm not going to pursue anything, further stating, I want a checklist of things to do to get rid of it. There are numerous things the officers did do as it applied to the section. The officers took action that provided safety for Brian by separating him from Gabby. The officers provided emergency shelter to Brian and they asked if he needed medical treatment. In response, Brian said, no, I'm okay and referred to his injuries as baby injuries. What I have found that the officers did not do was meet the requirements in accordance with UCA 77-36-2.1. This requires Brian be provided with the immediate and adequate notice of the rights of victims and of the remedies and services available to the victims of domestic violence. This should be written note that provides information on how to obtain a protective order, list of shelters, services, and resources, along with phone numbers to assist the victim in assessing any needed assistance. Now it talks about a violation of not having a written report. It says a law enforcement officer who does not make an arrest after investigating a complaint of domestic violence or who arrests two or more parties shall submit a detailed written report specifying the grounds for not arresting any party or for arresting both parties. It says these sections apply as no arrest was made. However, when speaking with Brian, he made it clear he did not want to be a victim in this case and didn't want any charges brought on to Gabby. It was explained to Brian the lack of discretion officers have in domestic violence cases and Brian maintained his position that he and Gabby are a team and he didn't want her to be charged. Officer Pratt explained to Brian his options when it came to Brian speaking with the county attorney and Brian's potential future involvement in the case. Brian's injuries were photographed at the time and there would be no further evidential items that Brian would need to preserve even though those photographs are no longer available either by officer error or software error. Officer Robbins did take pictures of Brian's injuries for the purpose of preserving and documenting the information. There was a report submitted that specified the grounds for not making an arrest. As far as it's being detailed, I have documented by many concerns with the content of this case reported under the section further into the report titled Investigations 311. Another violation, the law enforcement agency shall forward a copy of the incident report to the appropriate prosecuting attorney within five days after the complaint of domestic violence occurred. According to Assistant Chief Palmer, he does not believe the report was ever forwarded to the appropriate prosecuting attorney as there were no charges or arrests. Due to this incident being a domestic violence incident, the report should have been filed. The investigating officer made a mistake in miscategorizing the incident, which should have been addressed by administrative personnel as the report was forwarded on from the officer. Another violation, each law enforcement agency shall, as soon as practicable, make a written record and maintain records of all incidents of domestic violence reported to it and shall be identified by a law enforcement agency code for domestic violence. It says there was a case reported completed regarding this case and has been identified as Moed police case and then the case number. In the case report, the incident is categorized as a disorderly conduct incident and details the disposition of the case. The classification for this report should have been a domestic violence related category. Another one says when practicable, officers should obtain and document statements from the victim, the suspect, and any witnesses, including children in and around the household or location of the occurrences. They said there are two known witnesses in addition to those involved in the altercation, which is Gabby and Brian. Officers were able to obtain verbal statements from Brian and Gabby. Officers were also able to obtain a verbal and written statement from one of the witnesses who was on scene where the originating incident took place. 
Officers had a brief verbal statement via the 911 call from another witness who was not followed up by law enforcement. The officers didn't have access to the 911 call, but they did have immediate access to the dispatch notes while the call was active. It was surprising to me that the witness wasn't con contacted as Officer Pratt requested that its information from dispatch and dispatch provided the phone number of this person to Officer Pratt over the radio. This information would have also been heard or have been heard by Officer Robbins. In a subsequent interview with Officer Pratt, he described what was happening when he requested the witness's phone number. Officer Pratt stated he had responded to the Moonflower to meet with this person and was there relatively quick following the reported incident. According to the dispatch log, I believe Officer Pratt arrived at the Moonflower between 4.41 and 4.43 p.m. Officer Pratt stated he pulled up and started walking around expecting witnesses to come to him with information. Officer Pratt said it was weird as everyone around was acting like nothing had happened and nobody expected to see law enforcement show up. Officer Pratt was starting to think maybe the incident occurred elsewhere because nobody was saying anything. Officer Pratt said he was walking back to his car when he requested the witness's phone number because he couldn't find the person at the scene. Seconds later, this person walked up and asked if Officer Pratt was there because of the domestic. At the time, Officer Pratt collected details from this person about the white van that could help differentiate it from other white vans in the area. Officer Pratt also collected this person's information to follow up with later as Officer Robbins had located the wanted vehicle and Officer Pratt needed to respond to that location. After observing all the reports, dispatch log and body-worn camera in this case, it was practical for the officers to follow up with the reporting party, the person who called 911. With that said, Officer Pratt's interview with Gabby highlighted a statement made by that person about Brian assaulting Gabby, and Gabby's response to that was, I definitely hit him first. Officer Pratt called the second witness after Gabby's made the statement, and the witness account was similar to Brian and Gabby's statements. It would be purely speculative to try and explain what could have or might have changed, if anything, by officers reaching out and speaking to the original reporting party. It's important to any investigation to interview and have statements by all those who are involved to better form a conclusion and to help guide the investigation for a better understanding of what actually happened. This would be especially important if there was a witness statement that was made which conflicted with other statements that were obtained, the fact that this person had still not been contacted, meaning the witness, and a statement has still not been obtained from him is concerning. It was practical for officers to at least attempt to call the original reporting party and despite Gabby's response to part of the witness's statement and despite the statements made from Gabby, Brian and the witness, it's impossible to state or know whether or not anything would have changed the outcome of this investigation through speaking with the witness. As far as the documentation of the statements made, both Officer Pratt and Officer Robbins completed reports documenting their interactions regarding this case. They also both discussed the information they obtained independently from the other, from those involved, when trying to decide what actions to take. Officer Pratt played an integral role to this investigation, yet Officer Pratt's written report doesn't reflect that. Officer Pratt spent a significant amount of time with Gabby, and he also had a phone conversation with one witness. Officer Pratt's time with Brian was much more minimal, and very little of his conversations with Brian was regarding Brian's statement of what happened. In Officer Pratt's report, he stated that he had spoken with Brian, Gabby, and the witness, and stated they all three gave similar and consistent theories. Officer Pratt then described the incident in very little detail about what he understood what happened based on all three stories. Although I would agree their stories were similar, when it comes to documenting an incident and their statements from those involved, it's important to differentiate who said what so it's clear what was similar and consistent and what wasn't. This should include the who, what, when, where, how, and why as that information could play a role in determining the predominant aggressor. There was also no documentation describing the injuries Officer Pratt observed specifically on Gabby. There are statements made in Officer Pratt's report that require further follow-up. Officer Pratt states, it wasn't clear, but I believe it was reported the male had been observed to have assaulted the female. This thought presumably came from the 911 caller and was reported through dispatch notes as well as to responding officers through dispatch radio. Officer Pratt additionally documents in his report that Brian grabbed Gabby's face and pushed her back. After Officer Pratt documents both incidents, 911 caller stating male was assaulting female and Brian grabbing Gabby's face and pushed her, it's then documented in his report, no one reported that the male struck the female. I asked Officer Pratt what wasn't clear when he documented in his report that it wasn't clear, but I believe it was reported the male had been observed to have assaulted the female. 
Officer Pratt said, I wrote this report after the incident was completed and by the time the incident was completed, I knew I had one person saying the opposite of another person and those are my two independent witnesses. So to me, that's why I would have written it wasn't clear. I clarified with Officer Pratt that the statements made were clear but what actually happened wasn't. Officer Pratt said again when his report was written, it still wasn't clear to me because I had two witnesses saying opposite things, so therefore I don't think it could be clear to the reader. I asked Officer Pratt how he came to the conclusion in his report that nobody reported Brian struck Gabby. Officer Pratt said he spoke to Brian, Gabby, and the witness, none of who reported this. Officer Pratt said by the time he was able to write this report, he recalled that he had three people all stating the opposite. Officer Pratt said in order for him to get access to the dispatch audio from the original caller, that information had to be formally requested and would take time. Officer Pratt said when he was writing his report, he was questioning himself on if he had even heard the original report from dispatch correctly due to the three statements he had being contradictory to what he remembered hearing from dispatch. I asked Officer Pratt again about the statement in his report about nobody reporting Brian had hit Gabby despite the statement from Gabby that Brian had grabbed her face and caused a scratch. I asked Officer Pratt if he didn't consider someone grabbing a face as a strike or a hit. Officer Pratt said he didn't consider a grab to be either one of those. Officer Pratt gave examples of a hit being a hit, a slap being a slap, etc. Pratt explained that he believed it was important when we interview people to figure out what kind of contact was made and explain the contact. Pratt said maybe we could have done better at this. Pratt said that although he doesn't consider a grab of the face a strike, he stated it could be an assault. Pratt said it's important to describe the contact and the circumstances surrounding the contact. I told Officer Pratt that Gabby said Brian hit her and described it through demonstration face grabbing. Pratt said he never recalls Gabby stating or acknowledging Brian hitting her other than grabbing her face. Pratt said he only recalls Gabby replying, well, I definitely hit him first. This is accurate, but after this response, Officer Pratt asked if Brian hit her and Gabby replies, I guess, but I hit him first. When Gabby describes the violence against her, the only thing she ever describes is her face being grabbed, regardless of whether or not there is confusion on what is being called a strike or a hit. Officer Pratt acknowledges that Brian caused injury to Gabby by grabbing her face, and Gabby interpreted it being hit as having her face grabbed, at least according to her response. I asked Officer Pratt why there wasn't any follow-up with Brian regarding the statement Gabby made of Brian grabbing her face and causing injury. Pratt said he thought it had been taken care of. Pratt said Robbins heard this information and Robbins had spent the majority of his time with Brian while Officer Pratt spent the majority of his time with Gabby. Officer Pratt said, I shouldn't make these assumptions, but I assumed that he addressed it and it was corroborated and may have, should have talked to Brian more about that. Pratt acknowledged the amount of the time that he had on the side of the road investigating this incident said, some of these calls require more than that and this was one of the calls where I wish we had more time. I wish I hadn't been called away. I wish I didn't feel like I had to rush at all. Officer Pratt also said, if I didn't talk to Brian about that or it wasn't followed up with Brian, that should have happened for sure. I guess I assumed it had. I didn't know it hadn't. Pratt explained that at this time, the only on-duty patrol officers were him and Officer Robbins. Pratt stated Officer Robbins was still in field training and Pratt is required to be on every call that Robbins is on. According to a survey in 2019, the population of Moab was just over 5,000 people while tourism saw over 3 million visitors. It's believed that tourism has surpassed that number the last couple of years due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Officer Pratt said, so how much time do you spend on a call? You know, I work 10 hours, I gave one-tenth of my day to one couple, and I have many other calls. The other calls that are going on, a guy laying in traffic that it's important to him that I come drag him out of traffic, all these calls are important. If I had my way, I'd spend as much time as I needed on every call to make sure every call worked out right, but we don't have the staff. I'm not blaming the department, but we don't have the staff. I asked Officer Pratt why he didn't call the reporting party, which is the witness. Officer Pratt said calling him would have been the next thing he did or would have had Officer Robbins call him had he not been called away for a more urgent call. Pratt stated at this time they had spoken to Brian, Gabby, and the witness regarding this incident. Pratt stated that his observations as well as the statements made along with the physical evidence, everything was lining up. Officer Pratt said multiple times 
that the witness should have been called. Officer Pratt said that if he had been called and the witness repeated the same things he told dispatch, the three other statements along with the physical evidence was still much stronger than uh, just the witness's statement. Pratt described his line of questioning when talking with Gabby. Officer Pratt said he told Gabby, we have two independent witnesses. I said this because I thought my witness would line up with what I thought this guy told us. I thought we were going to have two. And her response was, well, I definitely hit him first. At the end of everything, her statement was like Brian's, was like my witnesses. Officer Pratt said multiple times during this call that there were two independent witnesses. Officer Pratt said this on multiple occasions and in front of Officer Robbins. Officer Pratt said he told Officer Robbins to get the reporting party's statement referring to the witness. Officer Pratt said later on when reviewing Officer Robbins' report, he didn't find the statement from the witness. Pratt asked Officer Robbins where the reporting party's statement was. Robbins told him it was part of the report. It was then that Officer Pratt learned that Officer Robbins thought that the reporting party was blank, not blank. So one of the witnesses. When talking about not following up with the witness, Officer Pratt said, there's no way I can tell you this investigation should have had an end of report at the end of it without having talked to the guy who called. There's not an excuse for it. I can explain it. I can't excuse it. Officer Pratt also said, I can't imagine what he could have said, especially if it was what he told dispatch that could have changed the decision that was made. Now, maybe if we didn't have the other independent witness, sure. In Officer Robbins' report, there are similar concerns. Officer Robbins spent the majority of his time speaking with Brian, but also got statements from Gabby regarding this incident. Officer Robbins was the reporting officer and ultimately the decision on how this case concluded was made by him. There are more details listed in Officer Robbins' report than Officer Pratt's. However, there are many details missing from the statements he received from those he had contact with. There are also additional statements made in Officer Robbins' report that are cause for concern. In Officer Robbins' report, while describing the statement made to him from Brian, Officer Robbins states Brian indicated Gabby went into a manic state. After watching the body-worn camera multiple times, I am unable to hear the statement actually made. It seems to me that Officer Robbins draws that conclusion himself and states that is what Brian said. Robbins describes seeing minor visible scratches to Brian's face but doesn't indicate where they're at. Officer Robbins states he observed scratches on Brian's right arm but again doesn't indicate where on the arm the injuries are at. Robin states Brian believed the injuries on his right arm occurred when Gabby was trying to get his attention about Officer Robbins being behind him with the lights on. Officer Robbins then makes the following statement. This, however, was not consistent with Gabrielle's statement further suggesting her confused and emotional state. Gabby's statement to Officer Robbins, which he documented in his report, was that she hit Brian in the arm to alert him to the police car behind them with their lights on. Brian also said that he believed that is where the marks came from, was Gabby hitting him when she was trying to get his attention. This adds confusion as to what Officer Robbins documented as the information is actually consistent with Gabby's statement, which doesn't validate the conclusion made by Officer Robbins about Gabby's confused and emotional state. As with Officer Pratt's report, Officer Robbins' report should include the who, what, when, where, how, and why, as the information could play a role in determining the predominant aggressor. There are many details not documented in his report, as well as details documented that appear to be speculation or just flat-out inaccurate. There were multiple questions I had for Officer Robbins regarding his written report and the statements he reported to have been made. When I asked Officer Robbins if he had reviewed his body-worn camera footage of this incident prior to writing his report, he stated he thought he had but wasn't positive. Officer Robbins confirmed he has access to the video but did not have access to the dispatch notes and audio. When I asked Officer Robbins how many witnesses there were in this incident and whether or not he had talked to any of them, he stated there'd been two. Robbins stated that he made contact with one of them and retrieved a written statement from him. Officer Robbins stated that he thought the other witness was the person who had called 911, but later found out that was not accurate. Officer Robbins stated he didn't reach out to one of the witnesses for a statement at any time during or following this incident. In Officer Robbins' report, he stated one of the witnesses saw Brian and Gabby arguing over a phone. I asked Officer Robbins if he investigated this further by asking Brian or Gabby about it. Officer Robbins said he did not. In Officer Robbins' report, he stated, the witness observed Gabby climbing into the van via the driver's side window. I asked Officer Robbins when, where, and to who this information was stated. Robbins stated, the witness told him this was on the day he collected the written statement. 
I asked this information because during the phone call with Officer Pratt, as well as the witness's statement, the written statement, it appears that Gabby climbed in the van via the driver's side door and over Brian's lap. There was never any mention about it being through the window. I asked Officer Robbins if his body-worn camera was activated while collecting this information from the witness. Officer Robbins stated he wasn't sure if it was or wasn't. I have since found there is no body camera recording of this contact. In Officer Robbins' report, he stated the witness was not entirely sure what, he, what it is he had seen. I asked Robbins what this was referring to as he gave a prior statement to Officer Pratt on the phone and also provided a written statement which provided numerous details of what he had observed. Officer Robbins stated the witness was concerned about the incident possibly being involved in human trafficking. I asked Officer Robbins if what the witness was not sure about was what he actually saw or if it or if he was not sure about the circumstance causing the incident. Robin stated the witness was confident in what he actually saw, but wasn't sure of what the bigger picture or reasoning might be behind what he saw. In Officer Robin's report, he described Brian's statement of what happened. Robin said that while Gabby and Brian were arguing near Main Street, Brian had attempted to separate from Gabby so they could both calm their emotions. Officer Robin stated he got into their van and Gabrielle had gone into a manic state. Brian said Gabrielle, thinking he was going to leave her in Moab without a ride, went to slap him. As Gabrielle started to swing, Brian pushed her away to avoid the slap. As a result, Gabrielle off balance, but still caught Brian's face with some fingers, causing some minor visible scratches. I asked Robbins if stating Gabby went into a manic state was something that Brian actually said, or if it was something Officer Robbins concluded. Robbins said, I haven't sat down and watched my body cam, I don't remember. I was also still on FTO and not very good at writing reports, so I'm probably guilty of possibly putting speculation in there. I then brought up the series of events that Officer Robbins documented above into how the physical fight started. I read it back to Officer Robbins and asked, do you recall what the actual information was that was provided to you by Brian? Officer Robbins said no. I told Officer Robbins that after watching the, the video multiple times, I was unable to find anywhere that Brian said Gabby was being manic. I also was unable to find anywhere that Gabby or Brian described Gabby was scared Brian was going to leave her in Moab. I told Officer Robbins that Brian said he was worried that Gabby was going to leave him in Moab, but not the other way around. Officer Robbins replied, I might have mixed those up. I reminded Officer Robbins of the series of events that he described being how the physical fight started. I told Officer Robbins I was unable to verify that the information he put down is what was actually said. Officer Robbins replied, I was trying to piece it together because their stories were all over the place as I'm sure you saw. There weren't exactly this event happened, this event happened, and this event happened, and it was this event happened, and then 20 minutes later this event happened. And then three days ago, this event happened. So I was trying to piece everything together. Robin's report said, I observed some small scratches to Brian's right arm. And when I asked him about them, he supposed, he supposed they must have happened when Gabrielle was trying to get his attention about me being behind him with the lights on. This, however, was not consistent with Gabrielle's statement, further suggesting her confused and emotional state. I asked Officer Robbins what exactly was not consistent with Gabrielle's statement. Officer Robbins said, if I remember correctly, Brian said that she grabbed his arm, or she said that he grabbed his arm. Anyways, the conflicting stories where one said he was being hit in the shoulder and the other one said that his arm was grabbed and that's what caused them to swerve and hit the curb, something along the lines of that at least. I told Officer Robbins that in his report, he stated Gabby told him that she hit Brian in the arm and Brian's statement was that Gabby pulled on the steering wheel. When Officer Robbins asked Brian about the scratches, Brian said they must have happened when Gabby was trying to get his attention about the cops behind them. I told Officer Robbins that the inconsistency is with Brian's story, not Gabby's. Officer Robbins did not have a response. I asked Officer Robbins what else he recalled Gabby being confused about. Officer Robbins said it didn't seem that she understood why we were there or the way that things could appear from the outside. She was obviously very emotional. I asked Officer Robbins if he ever noticed any injuries to Gabby during his interactions with her. Officer Robbins stated he recalled there being a small scratch on one of her cheeks. I asked Officer Robbins if he asked Gabby how she received the injury and Officer Robbins couldn't recall. I asked Robbins if he asked Brian about the scratch on Gabby's cheek. Robbins said he couldn't recall. Robbins said he remembered there being something about Brian grabbing 
Gabby's face and pushing her back, but he couldn't recall where he got that information. From the information I have reviewed, nobody asked Brian about the scratch on Gabby's cheek. There were a considerate number of details lacking from both officers' reports as it related to the statement made by all those involved. The witness called 911 to report this incident and his information as well as his statement was not obtained or documented in either of these reports. There's no information in either report to document any injury that was sustained by Gabby despite her disclosing the injury. There was also very little detail regarding the injuries sustained by Brian. There were numerous injuries pointed out on Brian during their interaction with very little of those injuries actually documented in the report. There are also numerous conclusions drawn or documented by Officer Robbins that don't actually appear to be accurate. Both written reports are missing significant details as it relates to the who, what, when, where, and how as it relates to this incident. Another violation, all injuries should be photographed regardless of severity, taking care to preserve the victim's personal privacy. When practicable, photographs should be taken by a person of the same sex. Victims whose injuries are not visible at the time of the incident should be asked to contact the investigations in the event that the injuries later become visible. It says, while reviewing the body-worn camera of this incident, I determined photographs were taken of Brian's injuries by Officer Robbins while no photographs were taken of Gabby's injuries. There were multiple injuries observed on both Brian and Gabby. Officer Robbins took into account Brian's personal privacy when asking him to lift up his shirt by having him move behind the van as to hide the view from passing motorists. Had there been pictures taken of Gabby, there was a female officer on scene to take those photographs if found to be necessary to preserve her privacy. On Gabby, there was a mark pointed out on her left arm as well as a scratch on her left cheek. On Brian, injuries were pointed out by the park ranger Ryan Crawl near his right eye, left side of his neck, left side of his nose, center of his face, bruise and bleeding on the right side of his head, and a red mark near his right bicep tricep area. Officer Robbins photographed Brian's hands, left side of his head, face and neck and right arm. Officer Robbins asked Brian to lift his shirt up and I believe I can see a long red scratch or scar underneath his left pectoral, but no photograph is taken. When asked during an interview, Officer Robbins stated he did not observe this mark and if he had, he would have addressed it. When receiving all the requested documents for this investigation, I requested the photographs but have not received any. In a subsequent interview with Officer Robbins, I reminded him of the numerous photographs he had taken during this incident. I pointed out that the injuries on Brian were the only ones photographed and no photographs of Gabby's injuries were taken. I also said there were photographs taken of both of their driver's license. I asked Robbins why there were no photographs taken of Gabby's injuries. Robin stated that Officer Pratt spent the most time with Gabby and he made an assumption that Officer Pratt would have taken those photos. I asked Robbins why the photographs were not uploaded to the report. Officer Robbins said that one to this day I still don't know. Robbins went on to say that he believes he did upload the photographs but they were not there when he checked. Robbins stated the photographs are no longer on the phone he used to take the photographs and stated he used his police department issued phone to take the photographs. The way the policy reads, I interpret it as all injuries on the victim should be photographed. I would recommend that the policy be clarified to state that all injuries of all involved parties should be photographed. I asked Assistant Chief Palmer if he ever saw those photographs and he stated he did not. I asked Officer Pratt if he ever saw the photographs and he also said he had not. Officer Pratt provided an example of when the same thing happened to him on a different case around the time of the incident. Pratt stated they used software from Taser that is installed on their department-issued cell phones. The software allows you to take video and photographs and upload them into the software where they can access it later on to attach to their reports. Officer Pratt said he had recorded a video using his phone off surveillance video that showed a hit-and-run accident. Pratt said there's proof he recorded the video from his body-worn camera and then there's proof of him pulling it up later to show someone involved in the case and the video was gone. Pratt said he hasn't had any issues with it since and doesn't know if something similar happened to Officer Robbins, but acknowledged that losing photographic or video evidence in this way has happened before. Another violation, it says, victims shall be provided with the department's domestic violence information handout, even if the incident may not rise to the level of a crime. And victims shall also be alerted to any available victim advocates, shelters, and community resources. And... In the response, it says, I did not find through body-worn camera reports that Brian or Gabby received the department's domestic violence information handout. Brian was provided a place to shelter for the night, utilizing a community resource they have for victims of domestic violence. Outside of that shelter, I could not find that anyone was provided with any information regarding a victim advocate. 
before separating Brian and Gabby. Brian asked if he could retrieve some items out of the van before they were separated. Park Ranger Brian Crawl assisted Brian in retrieving any relevant or necessary items he needed. Gabby and Brian both sustained injuries and Gabby mentioned pain she was having from her injury. Brian was asked if he needed medical attention and Brian declined the offer. The policy only states that this applies to the victim. At the time Gabby disclosed her injury, they had not concluded who the predominant aggressor was and she was not asked if she needed medical attention. There were also no follow-up questions asked to Brian regarding the injury Gabby sustained. After finding out Brian and Gabby didn't have any friends or family in the area where one of them could stay, shelter was arranged for Brian utilizing a local community resource for victims of domestic violence, while Gabby was allowed to stay with the van they had been traveling and living in. It makes me wonder too here about what they just said, because if you go to a scene and it's a domestic violence case and somebody's shot, let's say the aggressor shot and on the ground, they're still gonna call for medical backup. So uh, they need to change that for sure. Let me know your thoughts. Another violation, if two parties are arrested, the report shall detail the grounds for arresting both parties. It says that in the case report, the incident is categorized as a disorderly conduct incident and details the disposition of the case. The classification for this report should have been a domestic violence related category. As for the conclusion, it says, there is one thing I would like to point out that I believe is applicable to this case as well as many domestic violence cases. Just because Gabby was determined to be the predominant aggressor as it relates to this incident doesn't mean she was the long-term predominant aggressor in this relationship. Oftentimes in cases of domestic violence, the long-term victim gets to a point emotionally where they defend themselves or act out in such a way where law enforcement is summoned. There have been many times in my career where someone who we know from past experience to be a long-term victim of domestic violence gets arrested for committing an act of domestic violence against their long-term abuser. Despite knowing the history of those involved, we have had to make a decision based on the information presented to law enforcement at the time, despite our personal feelings and the known history of the relationship. It's very likely Gabby was a long-term victim of domestic violence, whether that be physically, mentally, and or emotionally. Gabby had a job which she left in order to travel the country with Brian. Gabby was trying to start an online career, which Brian didn't support or believe she could accomplish. Brian started locking Gabby out of the van in an attempt to control her movements. Brian said he was trying to make Gabby calm down, and Gabby said she was trying to get Brian to stop telling her to calm down. Gabby also said Brian kept telling her to shut up. Based on the information provided, I can only assume the act of Brian grabbing Gabby's face was his attempt to make Gabby calm down or make her shut up. Although the act of grabbing someone's face, like in this case, rarely causes any significant injury, I find that the specific act of grabbing someone's face is extremely personal, violent, and controlling. Just because there may have been some signs that Brian was the long-term predominant aggressor, law enforcement could only act on the information they were provided. And think of that, I mean, he grabs her face and where is it a couple weeks later around her throat? Officer Pratt said, we're doing all this with the fact in our mind that we know what happened later. So it's really convoluted and hard to tell you like anything other than what I thought at the time, which was if I missed a big red flag that he was a murderer, then yes, I missed it. If I would have known he was going to murder her, I would have taken vacation to follow them because I care about people to the point where he was going to murder her and I would have intervened and citizens arrested him in Wyoming. I would have taken my own time. I would have missed my family to go do that. I'm desperately effed over that she got killed. I really am. I would have done anything to stop it if I would have known that was coming. When speaking with Officer Pratt, I asked him if there was anything else that he thinks I should know or add as it relates to this investigation. He said he accepts responsibility for anything that was found he did wrong in this case. He said, I accept responsibility for it, but I don't want anyone to think that I did not care. I have daughters and I do want anyone involved to know that I talked to Gabby and I treated Gabby as much like I could fatherly, the way I would want another cop to interact with my daughter, even if he got it wrong. I do care. I am devastated about it. I cared that day and I still care. I don't think the public gets that we, I don't know if they know we care. I don't know if they know. It says there is a lot of speculation regarding this incident and I can't answer the what if questions. There were mistakes made in how this case was handled. If this case was handled flawlessly, would it have changed anything? Nobody knows. More and more in law enforcement, perfection is what is being expected. And with that comes officers second guessing themselves and their decisions. After reviewing all the information and speaking with the officers, I am confident and comfortable in stating the mistakes that were made 
were not made intentionally. The officers did not know what they were doing was wrong at the time and did not make the decision to benefit themselves in any way. They both believed at the time they were making the right decision based on the totality of the circumstances that were presented. The Moab Police Department and specifically Officer Pratt and Officer Robbins are responsible for their actions or lack thereof as it pertains to this investigation. However, I find it difficult to assign responsibility to anyone other than the person or persons directly responsible for Gabby's death weeks after and several hundred miles away from their August 12th incident in Moab. Based on my findings in this report, I would recommend at a minimum the following. Both officers be placed on probation, or if they are still on probation, that probation be extended. A review of Officer Robin's FTO program to determine if he needs to complete additional time on field training. Report writing training at least eight hours. Domestic violence investigated related training at least eight hours. Legal training. In addition to attending legal training to ensure officers understand Utah state laws and statutes, I would suggest building a stronger relationship with your prosecutors to where if there are legal questions that officers are unable to answer that they are able to and feel comfortable with reaching out for additional guidance. A review of the report, approval processes previously in place that determine if more checks and balances are needed. A follow-up with the witness to obtain a statement regardless of how long it has been and whether or not a statement may be tainted due to the coverage of this case. A review of the software used to transfer files to reduce the risk of photographic evidence being lost in the future. Overall policy review, update applicable policy sections to require photographs of injuries be taken of all those involved and require asking medical assistance to all those involved, regardless if they are a suspect or victim. Implement a lethality assessment protocol and policy in all domestic violence cases. Now the rest of the document is exhibits and also the officer's notes. Now I know that was a long one, it was long-winded, but I think the details are important and I think it's important to learn from this and everyone learn from it. And if you're in this type of situation, maybe like how Gabby was, that if you're pulled over and you have an opportunity to speak to the officer, somehow, some way, let him know exactly what's going on. Not faulting Gabby in no way, shape or form. Uh, the biggest point for me is the initial call. And that's what would have been focused on first. But I guess maybe from the cop's point of view, they're at a different location and now there's a new thing that's happened. So uh, I'm not excusing anybody. I just, you know, I can see how they make a point of, look, we're there, we're in the moment and, uh, you know, 2020, hindsight's 2020. Let me know your thoughts. Whew, that's long. Uh, please subscribe if you haven't done so already. And don't forget to hit that notification bell, otherwise you're not going to be notified of when I go live or when I upload my next video. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you soon. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.